Welcome to Pathway to Faith Podcast, the media ministry of Harvest Church International Outreach, where we elevate and nurture families through the Word of God. We are so glad that you are here and believe that God will change your life through today's message. Let's listen. I want to talk about uh, uh, prayer and fasting. I want to talk about prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, the cure for unbelief. Prayer and fasting. Now, I've already talked to one of our ministers. I told him, don't let me be long because there's a lot going on this month. And typically, I know you are not really used to me, uh, you know, ministering during this time of year. But I thought this particular subject was so crucial that, that I needed to be present and lay a foundation uh, for the new year. And uh, I felt arrested from the Holy Ghost that this was the message that I needed to start out with about prayer and what? Prayer and fasting. When I grew up in church, wasn't in the Baptist church and certainly nothing against the Baptist church, but I didn't hear anything about fasting in the Baptist church that I was raised in. I didn't hear anything or much about fasting until I got around those Pentecostals just prior to going to Vietnam. And, uh, and they fasted every Wednesday. And so from about, oh, I guess maybe around 15 or 16, I, you know, I fasted every Wednesday uh, because everybody I hung around fasted. I'm not saying I was all into it, but, you know, I just didn't want to tell everybody I was running with, no, I'm not doing it. Um, but it was a culture, not only in that particular church that I was in, but that whole denomination, uh, they, they fasted as a denomination every Wednesday. Every Wednesday they fasted and prayed. By and large, I just fasted. And my friends just fasted. They prayed, I didn't see it. But there's, there's something in praying and fasting that this modern church knows very little about fasting. And by and large, many of you haven't fasted in a I'm not talking about your Daniel's fast. <laughs> Some of you look at me and pass off fast. I'm not talking about once a year, talking about a lifestyle so you can have power. And so having said that, let's go to our first nugget. Nugget number one. It's gonna bless you tonight. It'll change your life. Ready? Read. And the early church. It was, it, was a, it was a common practice of fasting with the people of Israel. And when the church was born. Nugget number two, please. Ready? Read. His God-given dominion. Read it again. Eating the forbidden fruit. We'll deal with that later. What was the forbidden fruit? But read on, please. It was what? It was the original cause of man losing his dominion. Man lost his dominion over food. The devil tricked mankind out of his position of authority and dominion over food. Nugget number three. They don't like to. Ready? Read. Privilege always creates responsibility. Nugget number four. Jesus Christ got back. What did he get back? What Adam and Eve lost by refusing the devil's suggestion. And Satan comes to us on a regular basis, making suggestions to our minds. 
to try to get us to not be satisfied with what we already got. Can somebody say amen? Nugget number five. Ready? Read. Would you read it again, please? Would you read that again, please? And uncontrolled. In other words, you're out of control. Ready? Read. An uncontrolled appetite leads to what? Spiritual barrenness. Your flesh is dominating your life. You are out of control. And eventually, if you become majorly out of control, everybody can see it. Because some things you cannot hide. And there's nothing we can hide from God. Everything we do or say is open and naked to the eyes of God. Can somebody say amen to this truth? Uh, do you want another nugget? Do I have another one? Yes, a nugget number six. Put, put the last one up. Ooh, this is good. Ready? Read. Keep that nugget up, video department. Thank you. Jesus Christ showed that prayer and fasting was what? Was what? Notice I didn't use the verbiage that prayer and fasting was a key. Notice the verbiage that I use for a reason. That Jesus taught us. He gave us as an example. He modeled. That prayer and fasting was the master key to the impossible, to be changed to the possible. Do, do we have any, uh, do you have keys for the church? Do you, uh, um, how, how many you got? Got three? Okay, so, so come on just real quick. So uh, this is one of the ministers here in the church, and he has he has several keys. He got keys to open up doors on the ground. So if you need to get into a certain place, you can see Minister Orphe because he's got keys uh, for all these different doors that are here. But, but, but if, if you're pressed for time, and you don't have time for him to fiddle around trying to find out what key will work at which door, you need to come see me because I got a master key that'll open every door on this property. Oh, come on! So Jesus didn't give you keys. Prayer and fasting is not keys. It's a master key that will open up the door for you to exercise spiritual power that you can cast out devils, that you can walk in your house and tell the devil to get out. And because you have power, He'll have to obey you. You can walk into a demonic situation and command every demon to back up. I don't know if anybody's here when I went to Haiti for the first time and the leaders heard me and wanted me to speak to the nations. And so they set it up in a hurry for me to speak in the park. And when it got close for me to speak, I mean, it was like a monsoon came in. And I turned to one of the ministers that was on the platform. I said, you want to see the power of God in demonstration? And they said, yeah, what do you mean? I said, when they ask me to get up, I'm going to shut it down. So when my time came to get up, I said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command the clouds to close. And instantly, it's like somebody turned off a faucet. 
And the minister that I spoke to, eyes got as big as 50 cents. I said, why are you shocked? I said, Jesus gave every believer that kind of power. But we don't demonstrate that kind of power because we don't believe. And the thing that stops us from believing is unbelief. Who Jesus. Is this good? Faith needs prayer for its development. What did I say? And prayer needs fasting for the same thing. Prayer needs what? Faith for its development. Faith needs prayer for its development. And prayer needs fasting for the same response. So there are a lot of you or of us who have been praying, but we have been forgetting a master key, which is fasting. Because fasting humbles your soul. Fasting humbles your flesh. It's something about telling your flesh you're not eating today that causes your flesh to cry out. Are you listening to me? It may demonstrate itself with a headache. It may demonstrate itself because it's having withdrawals with shakes. But if you'll hold the course, it won't be long for it'll pass you over and you'll break through the veil into a spiritual place perhaps that you haven't been in a long time. Because prayer will take you some places, but prayer and fasting will take you to a whole different place of power and anointing and insight and boldness. Glory to God. Ain't nobody happy about this but me. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Uh, would you get my phone real quick? I want to show the people something. Genesis, are you there? Chapter 2. Fasting, and I repent at Harvest Church as the leader because I have not placed the emphasis in this ministry on fasting like I should. But that day is over because fasting is a doctrine in the church. Fasting is a doctrine. In the church, it's not a suggestion. If you want the kind of power that Jesus demonstrated, we have to do the same thing. Somebody say amen. Are you in Genesis chapter 2? Do you need help finding Genesis chapter 2? Thank you so much, sir. I want to show you something, if I may. Fasting, what did I say? Fasting or prayer and fasting is a cure for what? For unbelief. John the Baptist fasted. Anna fasted. The church at Antioch, they fasted. Uh, Paul, Apostle Paul, he fasted. Esther and Mordecai, you remember that story? Uh, they fasted. Uh, Moses fasted. Moses fasted for 40 days. And his replacement, Joshua, he fasted for 40 days. And I thank God for all of those that I mentioned. I can mention so many others who fasted, but the main person I want to get to is Jesus fasted. And he fasted for how many days? Yeah, he fasted for 40 days as well. Look at this just a little bit off, but, but hold your place there and go to Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4. Boy, the flesh is going to lose control over you. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse number 1. Then Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Did I read that right? L let me read this again. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Is that what your Bible says? Did we read that right? You mean the Holy Spirit 
led Jesus somewhere to be tempted? Wait a minute. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why was Jesus in the wilderness? The Holy Ghost led him there. I said, why was Jesus in the wilderness? The Holy Ghost led him there. And there's some places you call him the devil. It's not the devil at all. The Holy Spirit led you there. And you don't think it's God because it's uncomfortable. Boy, this has got to be the devil. This is, this, is, this is crazy. No, God led you there. So you're trying to get out of something God put you in. And you got to always know if God puts you in something, there's a lesson to be learned. You're going to come out better than you were when you went in. And when Jesus went into the wilderness, he came out different than he was when he went in. He went as just Jesus, but he came out the anointed cherub. He came out as the anointed one from Israel. He went in one way, and he came out with power. When Jesus went in, he had never worked a miracle. But when he came out, blinded eyes opened. Dead folk got up out of the grave. He started working miracles, signs, and wonders. I don't know what all he got in the wilderness, but whatever he got, it changed everything. Can somebody say amen to this truth? Am I the only one happy about this? Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, and I told you over and over and over again, if Satan can get you into the arena of reasoning, all Satan want to do is to get you to question what God said. And if he gets you to question it, you're already duped. Can somebody say amen? In your study time, read the rest of this, or certainly read the verse number 11. But I, I've got to get somewhere because of our time. Because there's so much going on around here. And they're trying to keep stuff away from me, and I'm trying to stay out of their way. My wife tell me, don't be praying to God, asking him what's going on. We don't need God to tell you what's happening. We're trying to surprise you. Let us surprise you. Or at least act like it. Are, are you, what did I say, Genesis? Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse, uh, Genesis 2, look at verse 15. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work, to tend the garden or to keep it, to attend to it, to manage it. Yes? And the Lord God commanded the man, and the Lord God commanded, come on, church, Come, come on, sisters. Don't get upset. You're not on the scene yet. You're on the scene, but you can't be seen. Preach, boy, preach. I said, you're on the scene, but you can't be seen because you were on the scene in Adam. Are you listening to me? And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree, of the garden you may eat or you may freely eat. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, come on, you shall. So we can draw the conclusion from what we've read that it's clear that us dying was not in God's original plan. Dying was not in God's original plan. Can, can you all re receive that? I said, can you all receive that? So eating the forbidden fruit was the original cause of man losing his God-given dominion in the Garden of Eden. So it was not God's intention that man would die. And the reason 
that now we die is what we said earlier in one of our, our nuggets is that privilege always comes with responsibility. So God gave Adam privilege, but to enjoy that privilege, he had to own up to the responsibility. Can somebody say amen? Now, the challenge that we have, and you've heard me say this a few lessons ago, is that God made us as humans so uniquely out of all his creation that out of all of God's creation, we're the only thing that God created that has the opportunity, the privilege to choose. All other animals, breathing species, they operate out of instinct. We're the only breathing thing that God created that have choice. And that's why we get in trouble. It's because we have a choice. But God didn't want us to be robots. Because you cannot exercise love unless you have a choice. You see, if my wife and I were the only people on earth and I told her I love her, I mean, what kind of fire would that start? I mean, she would look around and say, what choice do you have? But when you have options, are you listening to me? Every time your wife comes home, brother, every time your husband comes home, wife, you ought to celebrate. Because all the way driving home, they had options. I know you're some of you want to hear, but it's the truth. Uh, if, if they're working outside the home, they're, they're bombarded with options. Somebody's being honest. If your wife works outside the home, she's bombarded with options. If your husband works outside of the home, he is bombarded with options. If you go to the supermarket to get groceries, you will encounter options. If you pump your gas, if you pump at least 15 or $20, if you stay there at the pump long enough, options. Somebody eventually will give you a look as an expression of, you got an option today. And how you respond to that option will be predicated on your heart. Ooh, Jesus. Yeah, thank you, babe. I, ne I needed that. So, verse, look at verse 15. So, verse 15, this man had dominion. And the force of nature responded at his beck and call. Did you get that? Prior, I believe, you don't have to take it as gospel. I believe before Adam fell, I believe he could, he could do anything. I believe he could walk on water before he, before he fell. Because he was like God. I mean, he named all the animals without a dictionary. And, the, and God said, whatever Adam called them, that's what they were. That's like God. Whatever God calls a thing, that's what it is. And Adam operated just like God before he fell. I don't believe Adam got sick. I believe Adam could walk up to lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, with no fear, no problem. I mean, if he could name them, why would he be afraid of them? As a matter of fact, prior to the fall, he had no reason to fear. So he was operating just like God. Can somebody say amen to this truth? Some expositors not all, but some theologians, they espouse that uh, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil 
they say, they, their position is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was poison. I won't argue with them, but I don't believe the tree was poison. I believe the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God told Adam to leave alone, I believe it was the best tree in the garden. I believe the fruit on that tree was probably sweeter than all the other trees in the garden because God never asked for it all, but he always asked for the best portion. And then he says, if you give me the best portion, I'll bless the rest. I believe the fruit in the garden that God told Adam to leave alone was the best in the garden. Can somebody say amen? Now, we all know, because you all are good students of, of Scripture, that Eve didn't know. Because God didn't talk to Eve. As a matter of fact, if Eve said, God said, she was really saying, my husband said. Because everything Eve knew, Adam taught her. Which lays the foundation of the principle that a man of God doesn't marry a woman that he can't teach. Because it's not God's order for the wife to lead the family in the things of God. She'll do it if that's all we have, but that's not God's best. Say amen, ladies. It's the truth now. I personally believe, as I said, that this was the best fruit in the garden. And God says, leave that alone. That's mine. And every time Adam walked through the garden, attending managing the garden and not bothering that fruit. He was exercising that God had dominion and lordship over his life. Can you all handle this? Adam seen it long before Eve showed up on the scene and he didn't bother. He didn't bother it until he got married. Oh, Jesus. He tithed until he married a non-tither. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Getting quiet in the church tonight. Come on now. Am I staying? I'm staying on. I'm not, I'm not teaching heresy. Because before Eve came, he, matter of fact, Eve didn't know anything about the tree. He told her. He's the one who told her to leave it alone. So it's clear he had been seeing it and not bothering it. I'm not bothering it. That's God. But then he married a woman who wanted everything she saw. I'm not going to get any lady shouting with me tonight, Lord. Mm -hmm. But this is truth. Because you're going to struggle when you marry somebody who wants everything they see. And one of the first things going to happen, you're going you're to come up short honoring God. Because people who want everything they see struggle with delayed gratification. They want it now. And so they buy stuff, not that they won't be able to afford it, but at that time they can't afford it. Mm -hmm. And one rule my wife and I, we set is that we said we would never purchase anything that in purchasing it would affect our abilities to give to the work of God. That's always been our measuring stick. If we do this, is this going to affect our givings? Am, am I telling the truth? We always said that. I don't care what we looked at. If we purchase this, 
Will that affect our ability to tithe and give a good offering? If, if it'll affect our ability to give to God, then we know God is saying, not no, but not right now. And everything we waited on God for, and when we, when we finally got it, it was sweatless. And today, everything God has given us, everything's paid for. Everything, because we waited. I said we waited. I'm not in competition. I don't, I don't care what you got. I'm, I'm not, I don't deal with the Joneses. I only want what God wants for us, and I want it in God's timing. And I thank God I got the kind of wife that don't put pressure on me to disobey God. That's a good place for somebody to clap. If nothing else, just clap for me. Is, is, this, is this all right? So to obtain power over demons, we have to be people who engage in prayer and fasting. All believers are supposed to fast. All believers are supposed to fast. I'm just going to give you scripture. You can study it. Matthew 9, 14 and 15. Acts 13, 1 and 5, 1 Corinthians 7 and 5. Pull, pull that up in, in, in your study time. I believe in the power of proclamation. I declare over the people of God tonight that you shall live and not die. That sickness and disease cannot attach itself to you. And if it's on you right now, I command it to loose you and let you go in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. I command sickness to leave this place. I command pain to leave this place. I, 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 I declare every member of Harvest Church, I speak over you. Proclamations are powerful, ministers. Proclamations are powerful. And I, and I declare over this congregation that we'll live and not die. And cancers have to let you go. You will not die of cancer. You'll live to the glory of God. Proclamations are powerful. I, I speak blessings over you, and I declare that whatever door you walk through, you'll be blessed, and whatever door you exit, you'll be blessed. I declare in the name of Jesus that no weapon formed against you will be able to prosper. Proclamations are powerful. I declare of you that you're the head and not the tail, and you'll not die, but you'll live. You'll live. You'll live. You'll live to fulfill the number of your days to the glory of God. You can't die because there's things that God has for you to do. God promised you a long, satisfied life, and we're not satisfied. God promised us a long and satisfied life, and we're not satisfied. So I'm approaching 70 in a few days. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm going to live long. Glory to God. I'm going to live long. And I'm planning to live long. Glory to God. I can't do anything about numerically getting old, but I don't have to be old. And the way you stop from getting old is you keep moving. I, I face things just like you do. Wake up in the morning sometime and stuff don't want to move. But you have to command it to move. Proclamations are powerful. You command your legs to move. You command your arms to move. You command your knees to stop, amen, operating in pain. Proclamations are powerful. Or you can just sit there and take it. And that thing will get a stronghold, a grip on you. And it'll send you to the hospital. It'll send you to a nursing home. It'll send you to a, a wheelchair. You, proclamations are powerful. Care what my daddy died of. I'll live long. Proclamations are powerful. They're so powerful that you can proclaim things over your children. You can proclaim things over your children. Proclamations are powerful. That's why you can't let just anybody speak over your child. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? You can't allow people to call your child retarded. The devil is a lie. My child may not be like your child, but my child is not retarded. My child is not ADD or BD or whatever, F-I-G, L-O-N-O-P, Q-R-S, T-U-V, W-X-Y. My child's none of that. My child don't need Ritalin. If my child got Jesus, they got enough to be successful. Proclamations are powerful. If you don't open your mouth, 
and release proclamations, the world will speak over your life and your children and your marriage and your future. And since words are powerful, you might as well open up your mouth and decree what you're going to have and not allow somebody else to speak your future. Jesus, let, let, let's do this. Let, let's do this. D did we look at Genesis 2? Did we, did we deal with verse 17 about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We, we've already done that. Now let's go to Psalms real quick. Well, let's, while we're in Genesis, stay in Genesis. Go to Genesis 25. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I hear you, Lord. And, and some of you parents, stop feeling guilty over your grown children. Stop feeling guilty over your grown children. The I, I, only way I know how to explain it to you, uh, any of y'all remember when you had little kids? You remember when they couldn't ride a bicycle? And your parents remember that? You remember you trying to help them or somebody trying to help them? And what did you do? You would put them on the bike. Well, first you started with training wheels. You remember that? And then after a while, you took one off. You know, they would lean to the left or the right. Which one you took off? Y'all remember that? They'd be going down the road, but they'd be lean. Y'all remember that? And then after a while, you took the other one off. You remember that? And then you would run alongside of them. You can do it, baby. You can do it, baby. And if some of you couldn't do it, you didn't have a patience, so you had to get an older child or somebody else, somebody in neighborhood child. But, but my point is, you'd be running alongside. You all remember that? And, and I mean, they'd be wiggling and wobbling, and, and then, you know, you'd run alongside them, then you'd let them go. And then they'd fall. They'd wiggle and wobble, fall over the bushes, and cry, whatever. What, what, well, these new parents, I don't know what they'd do, but back in the day, they would just tell you, get up. You know, you get, you know, back in the day, you didn't have no helmet, no pads, nothing. Your head was the helmet, your knees was the pads, and your elbows, your elbows the pad. Some of you got scars now. You didn't look that way when you was born. But you all remember that. And, and, and then they, they give you a little push. And man, you, you, you would go to paddling. Then you, you waddle. And then one day, they pushed you. Yeah, somebody. And you what? You kept going. In other words, one day after you worked with them and worked with them, you had to let them go. And that's the analogy I want to use for somebody who the enemy's trying to beat you over with condemnation because you've got grown children that you don't know where they at. Work with it, boy. Because when they were on training wheels, they couldn't go far. But once they mastered riding, sometimes they was on the other side of town. Some of y'all in here parents told you to go to the store <laughs> and you why because once you mastered riding it gave you freedom it gave you freedom to choose and that's the way it is with your grown children you trained them up to do right to honor God right but now that they're grown, you have to gotta let them go. Got to let them go. And by letting them go, uh, they exercise a certain freedom and liberty. But you also have to exercise a certain measure of trust. Not toward your child, but toward God. And know in your heart that you did the best that you could. You raised them good. If we all could do it over, there's some things we could change, but that doesn't mean you were a bad parent. Who Jesus. And just because they make wrong choices, that's not on your account. Read your Bible. When they come of age, they choose. 
Are you listening to me? And you're not to get under condemnation because they don't choose the things that you raise them to choose. Because they can ride now on their own. And the ability to ride on their own gives them liberty to make their own choices. And God's not going to condemn you for that. Because now they have to stand before God and give an account for what they did. Ooh, Jesus. This is, it's not for everybody, but somebody needed that because the devil's just been beating you, beating you over the head. You got to raise them up. You got to let them go. And when you let them go, that gives them a freedom, a freedom to choose. Can somebody say amen? Are you in Psalms 106? Is that 48 minutes or 40-something seconds? 48 minutes? Good. Look at Psalms. You, you got to see this. Psalms 106. Psalms 106. And look at verse 14, please. Are you there? Look on the screen, please. But lusted exceedingly the wilderness. They were in the wilderness. Was always, the children were always complaining and tested God in the desert. Look at verse 15. And he gave them, come on, talk to me. You got to be careful what you pray for. You got to be careful what you pray for. You have to be careful what you pray for. Because when you're carnal, you ask for carnal things. That's why it's dangerous to choose a husband or a wife or to choose a mate when you're carnal. Because if you ever become spiritual, you may discover you made a mistake. Preach, boy, preach. Ain't nobody saying nothing. Did you get that? If you're worldly, I know you, you accepted Jesus, but you're worldly. You don't want to make those kind of serious decisions while you're worldly. Because if you ever get your mind renewed with the word of God, you may discover that you made a mistake. And so the children of Israel, uh, they, they were lusting, the Bible says, exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert and he gave them, God says, all right. I done told you no three times. You won't listen. Take him. Go get her. Go ahead and move. Do what you want to do. You're not listening to me. Sounds like God is a parent. Because if you, a parent you've been Parenting long, you press, say that to your child. Okay, all right. You didn't ask me three times, and I told you my answer. It's clear you don't like my, you know, my response to your question, so don't ask me again. Just do what you want to do, son. Do what you want to do, daughter. Do what you want to do, man. Do what you want to do, woman. Even though you know what's going to happen, but you got to let them go. Even though you know how it's going to end up, you have to let them go. And you're like, God, I've already told him how many times. I told my son, I told my daughter, you see this side of my head? I wasn't born like that. That's from not listening. And I don't want your head to be lopsided like mine. But you, you're, you're, you're so determined to get your own hickeys. I didn't listen to my parents. Look at what I'm struggling with. Now you don't listen to me, and you're going to struggle. And we got to break this generational curse. I didn't listen, you're not listening, and you're going to raise children that don't listen. Oh, Jesus. Is, 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 is this all right? I said, is this all right? Now, let's, let's close with this. Please just give me five minutes. We got to close with this because this is good. Matthew 17. This is where I was trying to get to all night long. Matthew chapter 17. And we're living in Matthew 24, but I want to deal with Matthew 17. 
Matthew 17, verse 20. Verse 14 for understanding. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. Here's the church. What did I say? Here's the church now. So I brought him to your church. I brought him to a member at Harvest Church on the first three rows. I just assumed because they were sitting so close that they had the fire. So Jesus said to them, well, I'm in verse 2, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples. But, so I brought him to the church, and Harvest Church couldn't do nothing but sing and dance and say, I'll pray for you. So when I say I brought him to Harvard Church, I'm not talking about this building. Somebody came to Harvard Church in a need, and, and God sent him to you. And not for you to bring him to me. You don't need to bring him to me. You need to deal with it. I'm teaching you to deal with it. So I brought this my son, and notice the, the father, he, he's not even pleading for himself. He's, he's pleading to God for his child. He said, and I brought my child to Harvest Church, and I, I brought him to the ministers, and that's every member, because every member is a minister. And notice what he said, and they couldn't do nothing. So if somebody was demon-possessed right now, could we assign them to you? Could you get them delivered? Well, y'all got quiet. Could you get them delivered? Could you cast the devil out of them? Would you be scared? Would you know what to do? Don't keep what Pastor Hobbs saying, honey, I'm just here for Bible study. Oh, I don't want to be doing none of that. But you're supposed to. Speaking in tongues ain't for you to come to church and us hear you speaking. As a matter of fact, speaking in tongues don't mean nothing because that's all you do. You're just playing. Ooh, Jesus. Is this helping anybody at all? Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation. That's us. Our generation is so perverted. Witchcraft and sorcery is everywhere. You can't even find a good cartoon today for your child. And you're not a responsible parent if you put your child in front of a television set and don't guard them. You're not responsible. If it's not a witch or some cantation, your children don't know better they only, they only have taken in what they heard. And those cartoons are teaching them witchcraft. Your little child, seven, eight, nine, 15 years old, is up there in their bedroom saying what they heard on television. And they're saying cantations that is summoning demon spirits. And you sit there and say, you don't believe it. And the devil claps his hands. 
Because you haven't even acknowledged that he even exists. And I told my wife the other day, this, this culture has got the church so desensitized, they, they, they paint witchcraft and sorcery and demonology like it's fun and games. Going to no movie, watching no exorcist. Hollywood thinks it's play, but the Bible says it's real. I wasn't really walking with God when that movie first came out. I forget, in the 70s or something. I know when I saw it, I couldn't wait for Sunday. I don't know what he preached. He don't even have to be able to preach. Just give an altar call. Because I don't want my head turning around. I don't want no... But, but they painted like it was a, that's real. And there are people who are demon-possessed. And you are around some of them on occasions, but you don't know because you have no spiritual sensitivity. That's a demon in your house trying to destroy your marriage. That's a demon that's got your daughter acting so ungodly. They're cussing and fussing, and you never cussed. And then this modern culture tries to put pressure on our young folk who got families who are trying to guard their children against that foolishness. As though those parents are strange. Because they don't allow their children to participate in Halloween. Halloween is about witches and warlocks and goblins. We're people of God. And there's something wrong with you if you can participate in that and it doesn't bother your conscience. For some candy. Buy them a bag of candy. That's better than introducing them and letting people at the preschool indoctrinate your little child on witches and warlocks at four and five and six years old. And don't you tell me a little child got on a witch suit that something else don't come with it, that you can't wash off with soap. And you don't think it's really a big deal because you don't know the Bible. And so the people who are telling you that's not, oh, Pastor Hop, he's just extreme. The people who are telling you they don't know the Bible. But the God I serve and the God you say you serve, he says it's an abomination and to leave it alone. Jehovah Witness got enough sense to not fool with it. And the Seventh-day Adventists, they got enough sense to not fool with it. But we don't think it's a big deal. And the devil loves it. Ooh, Jesus. Let, let's finish this up. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And I'm not speaking in the tenor. He's talking to the, he's really rebuking the disciples. And then after he rebukes them, he said, how, how long, oh, faithless. I mean, they don't write it the way, but this was probably the, his mannerism. What's wrong with you guys? I've been teaching you for close to three years, and you don't know this. This is sandbox, Peter. Oh, well, bring him to me. That was the tenor in which Jesus was speaking. And he wasn't nice. Like some of you, everything got to be, somebody got to talk to you nice. And Jesus wasn't nice. He rebuked them. I got a report. Y'all been with me closer than anybody, and you all been all this time with me, and you all can't deal with this? And you're going to bring this to me? And I've been training you? And Jesus said, bring him to me. 
So the first thing Jesus did, he rebuked the disciples. And the second thing he did, he rebuked the demon. And notice he didn't go into a tearing session. And notice he didn't allow no outward manifestations. Just told to come out. He didn't throw no oil. He didn't throw no water. He just said, come out. He didn't have to say Jesus because he was the man. Look at it. And Jesus, verse 18, he did what? He, he rebuked the demon. And it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to him after church service was over. And said, hey, hey, Jesus. Uh, we didn't want to be embarrassed in front of everybody. But, uh. How come uh, the demon didn't uh, obey us? We, we noticed that the, the demon ob obeyed you. But how come the demon didn't obey us? And Jesus, in essence, in this text, he was saying, the demon didn't obey you because of your unbelief. Because demons know when you're scared. I remember when I first was going to Haiti, they said, now, Reverend Howe, they said, in Haiti, they don't play. Uh, they're, they're real serious about witchcraft. It's a religion. And it's not a real good place to go calling yourself doing missionary outreach if you're not the real deal because they will call you out. And they'll know if you're the real deal or fake. And I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's on television. I mean, it, it's, re it's in your face. And I believe that's why I had to do a demonstration in that park. Because it got the attention of everybody. Are you all listening to me? Now, I didn't say all that for you to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You need to believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides on the inside of you. And I'm not, I'm not bashing you because some of you, you're so precious, you just haven't exercised it in so long, you don't know if you still got it. And you still got it. You just need to stir it up. And it'll light your fire when you discover you got it. You'll rejoice on the reality that you got it. That demons are subject unto you in the name of Jesus. But we don't rejoice over that. We rejoice because our name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life that has given us that kind of power. Is this helping anybody at all? And so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will, it will move, and nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be what? Nothing will be impossible to you. So Jesus, Jesus settled the issue with the disciples and us today. The key to casting out a familiar spirit or demonic activity is to believe. Okay, pastor, you say I need to believe. How do I get myself in a position where I can believe? That's where prayer and fasting comes in. Fasting helps you to believe. Just like prayer helps you to believe. It's something about pushing the plate away for a period of time that ushers you in to another dimension. 
to where your flesh is no longer dictating to you, but something greater is, is, is dealing with you, which is the spirit of God. Are, are you all listening to me? And I'm, I'm telling you from experience, you can walk into a room and every demon in that room will know you came in. Some of you need to get to that place where it's, it's clear wherever you, when you walk in a room, it changes the dynamics. Because religion didn't walk in, power walked in. And it's not reserved for a pastor, it's reserved for every child of God. Are you all listening to me? The, the pastor doesn't have more access to power than you do. I have a position, but so do you. But we all should be exercising the power and the authority that God has delegated to us. As a church, I said as a church, the, the stars are falling. We don't need to be traveling to Orlando, Florida to see miracles. Miracles should be happening wherever you go. I don't need Benny Hinn. What he got, I got. And what I got, you got. We just need to have faith to exercise it. Why? Because unbelief shuts it down. You don't believe what God says you have, so you don't exercise what God says you got. Is, is, is that good? If you have faith, it will be done. If you have faith, it will be done. If you have unbelief, it cannot be done. It cannot be done. If you have faith, it can be done. Notice I'm not telling you what because I don't know what you need faith for. But if you have faith, it can be done. If you have unbelief, it can't be done. I don't care what it is. If you have faith, if there's anything that is the will of God for you and you have faith for it, it can be done. If you have unbelief, it can't be done. All things are possible to him that believes. They said we couldn't have this mall. But I believe God. God said it was ours before I ever met them. Because this facility never had a for sale sign on it. It was just sitting here dormant. And I saw it and God said it was ours. When they found out I was pursuing it, the powers that be said, you can't have it. They were too late. Because God had already told me it was ours. So whose report am I going to believe? So they called a meeting, all the big to-do-do's. They called a meeting, you know, because they got a bunch of money. So they called a big meeting with me. And they all sat around the table. And I used the word of God, put the fear of God in them. I said, y'all can say whatever you want to say. Y'all can do whatever you want to do. But know this, that my Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he turns it this way, and he turns it that. I do know I heard from God. And he said, this property belongs to Harvest Church. Blessed be the person who helps us to get it. And woe be to any person who tries to stop us. And the meeting was over. I stood up in the meeting and said, I'm done. Two days later, they called and said, for Reverend Howe, we, we just want you to know that, uh, you know, we believe, you know, we... We believe you. And you're sitting in it today. You're sitting in it today. You're sitting in it today. Because if you have faith over what God said, it's possible. If you mix unbelief with what God said, then it can't happen. And I'm in a faith fight right now. 
Because what God said is not what I see concerning my children. But I'm not moved by what I see. And I know God hasn't brought me this far in my life for everything to fall to nothing. Are you listening to me? Now, I'm not talking, I'm telling the devil that I'm not moved by what I see. I know what God told me. And if God can turn my life around, my children got a chance. I know what God said to me. I know what God said to me. That's why I fed them. That's why I clothed them. That's why I taught them. Because I know what God said to me. But what I see today is not what I saw. And I'm not discouraged. I'm not depressed. And I'm not throwing in my towel. Because I got a word from God concerning every one of them. And God is not a man that he would lie or a son of man that he would repent. If he said it, he'll bring it to pass. And all I have to do is stay in faith. And it won't be long. How long? Not long. It won't be long. How long? Not long. God's going to turn every situation with every one of my children. He's going to turn it around. And they're all going to get a fire for God and never turn back. Because that's what he said. That's what he said. That's what he said. So I call my children blessed. I call my grandchildren blessed. If the Lord tears, I call my great-great-grandchildren blessed. Because I walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously and make this ministry outreach possible. Click the link in the description to give now or visit hcio.org slash podcast for more information. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Even tag us on social media at Harvest Church KC. Thanks again for listening.